0: Hello, my name is Ros Ward and you're listening to Red Flag Radio. It's my great pleasure to introduce the opening night of Marxism 2021 Australia's biggest left-wing conference that's taking place across four cities this Easter weekend. If you haven't already got a ticket or if you are not already part of the action, it's not too late. You can find out more at marxismconference.org and get your tickets there. The conference is happening in Melbourne, Perth, Brisbane Online and Sydney and the full programs are available on the website. We were uh, we've just finished um, opening night of the Melbourne uh, part of the conference, and this is a recording of what happened at opening night. And I hope you enjoy it as much as me and Liam did. Um, this is Marxism 2021. You're listening to Red Flag Radio. We have a world to win. Enjoy. Our comrades across the world. It's been a long long time
1: comrades but here we are at Marxism 2021. Right now right now in rooms like this across Australia there are hundreds and hundreds of people to meeting to meet to discuss to talk about how to change the world. I just want to do a bit of a test. Put your hands up. Sorry, make some noise if you're here from Adelaide. Make some noise if this is your first conference. All right, that's pretty good. My name is Omar. I'll be facilitating the meeting tonight here in Melbourne of this multi-city spectacular opening night of a multi-city spectacular conference. Before we start, I want to make two acknowledgements. The first is that we're meeting on the lands of the Rungruri people. This land was stolen. It was invaded. uh, People were murdered in. mass killings all across this country. There was a genocide that took place. Uh, and we, uh, we recognize that we stand with the Aboriginal people of this country who are still fighting for justice uh, from that action and all the crimes that continue to this day. The second thing I want to acknowledge is that right now, right now in our part of the world, there is currently people risking their lives on a daily basis to try and change the world. I'm talking about Myanmar. The heroes of Myanmar, hundreds of them, are dying daily for the right to be free. And I think we should acknowledge both the Wurundjeri people, the indigenous people of Australia, and the heroes who are struggling right now in Myanmar before we begin. So Marxism is the biggest gathering of socialists in Australia every year. It has been an absolute staple of the left in this city for decades now and its size and breadth has continued to grow as the organization that puts it on socialist alternative has continued to grow and what a time to be putting on this conference uh what a time to be discussing radical politics in the last 12 months the world has fundamentally changed in so many ways and of course We can't talk about the world without starting with the pandemic, which as of tonight has killed almost 3 million people. I just want everyone to think about that for a minute. That's 30 capacity MCGs. That's 10,000 rooms like this one. It's the population, roughly, of Brisbane and Adelaide, wiped out. That's how many people have died this year. And this catastrophe is not some act of God. It's not natural but it's because the politicians who run our world have chosen to put profit ahead of people, to put death over life. And it's now ravaging so many people all around their world. And we're actually extremely lucky here to be having this conference. And there's gonna be a number of sessions of this conference talking about that pandemic and its impact socially, culturally, economically, and politically. And I actually wanna make a bit of a shout out before we begin uh, for people in the audience, if you have a mask on you, you're really encouraged to wear it throughout the event, Um, especially when you're sitting in audiences like this. Um, obviously, when you're speaking, that would be fine. Um, But it's generally an act of social solidarity, costs us nothing. Um, You keep yourself safe, you keep the people around you safe. Um, So please do that where you can. The last year has exposed so much about how our society functions. We've seen climate change. 18 months ago, there were Climate strikes in Australia in September 2019, hundreds of thousands of people across the country striking uh, to to try and save the planet and change the world. Unfortunately, since then, we've seen a lot of planetary destruction and not a lot of action. Uh, So We've seen bushfires, of course. Who could forget that? We've seen the floods in New South Wales recently, and even the pandemic itself actually all represent uh, examples of how the relationship between humanity and the natural world is being broken by this disgusting system and even though all the countries everywhere are pledging maybe to think about net zero emissions by 2050, we know that 2050 is a meaningless date. Politicians who are currently in power will not be held accountable for the actions in 2050 and so what we're seeing really 2050 is a new climate denialism. We've seen the reality and significance of class as a social category really highlighted in the last 12 months. The essential workers who got talked about so often in the media, not just in health and sanitation, but those in public transport, schools, and more recently, uh, pilots of very large ships. Um, These people play a really big role in the economy and in society, but unfortunately, despite the media attention, despite their bravery being depicted pretty regularly, actually, they've received no pay rises, no lasting improvements to their work conditions and ongoing attacks to their unions. The last 18 months or so have also highlighted the reality, the brutal reality of oppression of so many people, of women, of people of color, of migrants, and everyone else. We've seen the disproportionate deaths of black and brown people due to the pandemic. We've seen the horrific scenes uh, in, on, in the US borders and here in Australia, right here in Melbourne, where those seeking asylum are put in cages rather than welcomed with open arms. And most recently, we've seen the scandal of sexual assault and abuse in the supposedly hallowed halls of our national parliament and let me just say while it's absolutely disgusting what goes on there and the media are really right and for once doing their job to be exposing these crimes the liberal party is the party of offshore detention it's the party of anti-union legislation it's the party of attacks on welfare healthcare, and education and, of course, the party that launched the war in Iraq. And so it's no surprise that this political organization would tolerate and promote the most vile, misogynist filth in our society. And so we need to, yes, drive these people from parliament, but there's more than that. We need to drive them from our society because if you want proof that simply changing governments uh, is not sufficient, take a look at the U.S. right now. Biden was elected and promised as the lesser evil, as the man who could restore civility to American politics after four years of quasi-fascists running the show. And certainly some things have changed. Uh, There's been some good payments recently put through, for example, and definitely the social media account of the current US president is much less likely to trigger World War III. But anyone who hoped to see the police defunded, the minimum wage increased, or to see serious action on the pandemic would be very, very disappointed. And even the very minimum principle of getting children out of cages has been abandoned already. We saw news this, this morning, actually, I saw an article of reports where 500 kids, children, are being packed like sardines into plastic rooms designed for 32 people. This is absolutely barbaric. And if you look at the program tonight, You'll find sessions on all of these topics, on the absolute breadth of issues that we face in our society. There's a whole stream on climate change, debating how we can actually end it. There's sessions on understanding the roots of racism, gender and sexual oppression, critiques of our so-called capitalist democracy, and discussions about revolutionary radical alternatives to that. But of course, I can't go through every topic in the world, you've got the conference to do that, and I can't even reference every session we're having at this conference. Really the point of tonight is to be a teaser, a kind of sampler to frame some of the key issues and themes for this weekend of political education, discussion and debate. And we're gonna be hearing from two of the most well-respected socialist activists in Melbourne. And hopefully by the end of that you'll be even more excited to come to the rest of the conference than you are right now. And I do wanna emphasize, it's a four day conference, full four days. Tonight is just the beginning. We're gonna be speaking on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday um, about a whole range of things. Tomorrow, for example, we've got a woman, Fiero, talking about the abortion rights victory in Argentina that happened last year. On Saturday, we've got refugee rights activists from the US and Greece talking about the front lines of that issue globally. Um, we've also got a session looking at the issue of Bernie Sanders, Jeremy Corbyn, their defeat, and how, what, that imp- what the implications of that have for socialist strategy. On Sunday, we've got an activist from the US up from the front lines of the Black Lives Matter movement, Michael Brown. As well, we've got uh, lesbian and gay activists um, Mike Jackson, sorry, he's gay, he was part of founding a group called uh, Lesbians and Gays Support the Minors in Britain, and it just goes on and on and on. So please check out the program and commit to coming, not just tonight, not just for one day or here or there, but come for the entire process. Okay, so first up, enough for me, the first speaker is Liz Welsh. Liz is a veteran revolutionary now, having been active since the anti-capitalist movement in the year 2000. She's played a big, big part in almost everything good that's happened in this city since that time and is a member of Socialist Alternatives National Executive. Most recently, Liz has been really involved in helping to lead the Victorian Socialists to impressive election results in local, state, and federal campaigns. Please make Liz feel really welcome.
2: Oh, I can't see you. <laughs> that helps. Uh, well, in January this year, in the Amazonia city of Manaus, the oxygen supply ran out in the COVID 19 intensive care ward. Within minutes, 100 people died gasping for air while nurses and doctors looked on in terror, in absolute powerlessness. Today, the whole of Brazil is becoming a Manaus. Hospitals are at breaking point. People are dying on the floor of ICUs because there's not enough beds. Oxygen supplies are Mm dangerously low throughout the country and in cemeteries there is row upon row of freshly dug graves. Nearly 300,000 Brazilians have been killed during this pandemic. This massacre is only exceeded uh, in terms of death toll by the United States where half a million people have been killed and I... I say killed and I say massacred because these are unnecessary deaths. This massacre, these deaths are the result of letting the virus run virtually unchecked. And what has the response been of Jai Bolsonaro, the President of Brazil, to this horror? In a recent interview, he said stop whining. How long are you going to keep on crying? Far-right politicians like Bolsonaro and the former US President Donald Trump are what capitalism looks like without a mask, without the mask of liberal civility. But we should know that the same dynamic, the dynamic of ruthless prioritisation, of the interests of the rich, of their profits over our lives, exists everywhere. Most governments have resisted lockdowns, or they've introduced partial and inadequate measures, or they've lifted lockdowns way too early under pressure from the markets. And this is why we see millions Three million people have been killed across the globe in one year. In Biden's USA, capitalist profits also triumph over people's lives. He might have urged Florida and Texas, the governors there, to reinstitute a mask mandate, but he also forced public schools to reopen against the wishes of teachers, against their resistance, putting their lives on the line and the lives of their students and all of their loved ones, all for the sake of the economy. Often our example of the anti-human logic of capitalism is uh, food production and hunger, the fact that 30,000 children die every day of starvation and hunger-related diseases because agribusiness companies would prefer to give um, to dump food than to give it to people who can't afford to pay for it. And now, today, it's the actions of giant pharmaceutical companies and the powerful governments that back them that are our example of the darkness that is at the heart of capitalism. For the past six months, with the terror, with the pain and the loss mounting, the United States, the UK, Switzerland, Japan and even Brazil have blocked attempts in the WTO by developing countries to have intellectual property rights over vaccine patents dropped uh, to allow vaccines to be produced everywhere. After all, the heads of these big pharma companies, didn't deploy their resources, didn't put to work thousands of scientists in their labs in order to save lives. No, that's not at all what's motivated them. It's to make billions of dollars off this pandemic. Pfizer alone is expected to make $15 billion this year. And of course, they want to sell their vaccine to the highest bidder, not have it distributed on the basis of need. Wealthy countries are literally hoarding the vaccine. So we have a situation where Australia, which has seen hardly any deaths from the pandemic, has already pre-purchased 2.5 times the amount that Australia needs. Canada five times. And this has created scarcity. So low-income and middle-income countries are not expected to be able to vaccinate their populations until 2024, if it happens at all. This is utter madness. It's a real display of the grotesque, Uh, competition and nationalism that's at the heart of this system. But there is no national solution to this pandemic. For starters, fundamentally, this pandemic is a product of the extractive and exploitative nature of relationships that capitalism has to the natural world, of the expansion of intensive uh, industrial agriculture into wilderness areas, making it easier for viruses to jump from the animal world to the human world, which... It means that pandemics in the future are all the more likely. This will not be the last. So clearly it calls on us to have a fundamental confrontation with the way that capitalism is organised. And this sits alongside the crime of the fossil fuel economy that is hurtling us towards climate catastrophe. Both of these environmental crises that have massive public health consequences demand a total transformation in the way that production is organised and distributed internationally. The scale of the pandemic is also a product of the integrated nature of the global economy. The fact that there are global supply chains, the fact that we have international travel and so on, which means that the longer that the virus um, rages in any part of the globe, the more it will mutate into strains that will evade the protection of existing vaccines. And, And inevitably, given the nature of the global economy, these mutations will spread. We are literally in a race against time to vaccinate everyone, not that the behaviour of the big pharma companies or powerful governments would indicate this. And it shows us just how unfit to rule the bourgeoisie are, that even in a global pandemic that has already killed millions of people, even in a situation where the global economy is in one of the deepest recessions on record, not even this would induce uh, the capitalist class to the kind of cooperation, the kind of co- coordination that we so desperately need. So this pandemic has been a major disruptor of the system, a system that was already racked with tension um, and crises, whether that's the climate disaster or the growing imperialist competition between the United States and China that may yet spark a hot war. And it can seem in the face of this wrecking ball that we're powerless, but that's not true. It's in these moments of instability in these moments of contradiction and crisis, in these moments where our limited democratic rights are under attack, that the ground is prepared for the discontent and anger that has been building up below the surface can explode through, for the subterranean fire of working class people and the poor to ignite. And today we see this most magnificently in the mass uprising in Myanmar against the military. So I want to spend a few moments turning and talking about um, um, this incredible struggle. Instead of resignation, the February 1st coup was met immediately with mass civil disobedience led by students and young workers. Hundreds of thousands of people gathered in the streets, in cities, in towns, in villages across Myanmar, knowing full well the kind of ruthless enemy that they faced. They went to these protests knowing that they may never return, and indeed we've read about um, many of the protesters leaving letters for loved ones because they may never come back. But they still go out because they've refused to live on their knees, refused to go back living under a dictatorship. And as some of their banners have declared, quoting from the famous last words of the Communist Manifesto, we have nothing to lose but our chains. One of the most inspiring elements of the struggle has been the absolutely central role that working class people um, have been playing in this fight for democracy. Something that's quite unique in comparison to a lot of the other recent democratic struggles. We've seen mass meetings, we've seen work refusal, we've seen strikes, we've even seen general strikes. Textile workers, railway and transport workers, public servants, medical staff, oil, oil refinery workers, have all used their collective power to stop the wheels of the economy from turning, each inspiring each other to greater tremendous acts of heroism. And there has been so much heroism. Weeks ago, we learnt the name Ma Moe Sander Mint, the 37-year-old leader of the Federation of Garment Workers in Myanmar who agitates on protest platforms during the day, calling on people to continue to fight against the military dictatorship until the end, before going into hiding at night, moving from safe house to safe house to avoid arrest. The centrality of working-class resistance has not gone unnoticed by the military, and it's in military, in working-class districts like Helang Thaya, where many of the textile factories are based though we've seen some of the heaviest repression. Peaceful sit-ins have been fired on with live ammunition, tear gas and stun grenades. On one day in the middle of March, 65 people, mostly workers, were killed in this suburb of Yangon. One of the most shocking stories to be reported happened in a textile factory. When the army showed up and started to push around workers, a young woman went up to a soldier and slapped him in the face. She was summarily shot in the head for her insubordination. Indeed, today we see less and less of the mass peaceful protests, full of hope and joy. Instead, there are barricades and fierce fighting in the streets as the movement tries to desperately defend itself. This is a grim but necessary development. Over 500 protesters, often armed with nothing more than makeshift shields, have now been mercilessly gunned down by the military. Bystanders, including children in their own homes, have been indiscriminately shot and fired upon. We will bear a grudge to the end of the world is a slogan of the movement for good reason. And the military have now also begun airstrikes in areas under control of the long-oppressed ethnic minorities. So Myanmar really is... A picture of the viciousness of the capitalist state gone wild with the thought of losing its privileges, its power, and its wealth. It's a reminder of the formidable obstacles that we face in trying to change the world. But Myanmar is also a reminder of the beauty of revolutions, of ordinary people finding within themselves incredible strength. One of the most remarkable elements of the struggle has been the growing consciousness the growing challenge to all discrimination, racism and chauvinism that has been drummed into ordinary Burmese by the elite. For years, Myanmar's rulers, whether they wore army uniforms or civilian clothes, waged war on ethnic minorities and whipped up nationalist chauvinism to justify their crimes. So one of the goals of the protest movement is to rewrite the constitution to give greater rights and and autonomy to minorities. Student unions have been reaching out to apologize to the Rohingya for turning a blind eye uh, to the military, who, under the watch of Unsung Suu Chi, butchered and raped and demolished Rohingyan villages, forcing hundreds of thousands to flee for their lives, many of which ended up in Australia's concentration camps. This striving for unity, this desire to rid themselves of the muck of ages, something which only serves to divide ordinary people in the interests of the wealthy few is a constant theme of revolutions. It's a glimmer of the kind of decent world that ordinary people could create if we were in control. This year we're celebrating the 150th anniversary of another revolutionary assault on the system, the Paris Commune of 1871, when workers rose up against their rulers and took control of their city for the first time in history. The workers' government that they established was a vivid illustration of the capacity of workers to govern society better. They wanted a thoroughgoing democracy. They wanted to be able to hold their representatives accountable and to make them recallable. Their first act was to abolish constriction and the standing army and to replace it with the armed people. They declared their internationalism and braced the right of foreigners to be able to, to be elected to the commune. They abolished night work as inhumane and they set up cooperatives. Debt was abolished, rent was suspended, free education was established for all children, including including girls. Public speaking, art, theatre, all flourished. It truly was the festival of the oppressed. It was a state of affairs that was worth fighting to defend. The same bravery that we see... In Myanmar was also on display in Paris. People gave their lives on the barricade to defend what they had created when government troops moved in to crush the commune. And like Myanmar, the commune is also a story of the bloody counter-revolutionary violence that the ruling class will unleash when faced with a democratic popular challenge. Tens of thousands of communards were murdered and it left a bitter legacy for working-class people in France, a deep hatred for the reactionary bourgeois state, for its army and for its politicians. It was a lesson for all of us, for all future rebels. If we're to realise the promises of our struggles, we need a strategy that can take on and dis- dismantle, smash apart the machinery of violence that is the capitalist state. Last summer the subterranean fire that I've been speaking about the often unseen rage Decades of black oppression, widening inequality, and declining living standards exploded in the United States when George Floyd was murdered by the police. The uprising that followed his gruesome death in Minneapolis spread like wildfire across the country, making the Black Lives Matter protest the largest social movement in American history, which is quite phenomenal given it happened during a pandemic. City after city was shaken by black and white protesters united in the demand for racial justice, for an end to racist police violence, indeed, for an end to the police altogether. As they took to the streets in their millions, they reimagined what was possible. And no doubt this struggle was central to politically awakening many of the younger comrades in the room tonight. And it's the ferocity of that struggle that's for something that is so basic but so unusual, the murder trial of the killer cop Derek Chauvin that's taking place right now, a trial that is both exposing the cold brutality of the police but also the basic decency of ordinary people who tried desperately to stop the police choking this man to death. The Black Lives Matter movement was a reminder that capitalism, with all of its injustices, provokes resistance And when this resistance does emerge, it shows us the potential power that ordinary people have and the incredible beauty of our side, which is something that should fill us all with hope that another world is possible. But, of course, we can't just cheer on these struggles from the sidelines. We need to throw ourselves into the battle. We need to be ourselves organised. We need to be ourselves discussing and debating out how we can tear down this rotten system. Because as Russian revolutionary Lenin um, said, without revolutionary theory, there can be no revolutionary movement. And that's why I'm so excited to be here, surrounded by some of the finest, some of the most dedicated activists around. Yes, we haven't been tested like the young heroes on the barricades in Myanmar, but what we do have is a determination to use the space that we do have here to learn, to learn from and to to be inspired by global struggles, to discuss and to debate out revolutionary theory, to clarify our political positions, and importantly, to build a stronger anti-capitalist revolutionary left in this country. So I hope that you'll be joining us over the next four days to discuss with us how we can dismantle capitalism, how we can overthrow this rotten system, and how we can build a new world that's based on genuine democracy, that's based on cooperation and on solidarity. Thanks
1: Thanks so much, Liz. I think it is really useful to reflect on um, the, the long history and the very recent history of struggle for justice that goes on all around around the world all the time. It's, it's a reminder that our movement, the workers' movement, the socialist movement, is not a hobby or a passing interest, or at least it shouldn't be, but it's something that millions, probably billions of people have dedicated their lives to uh, throughout history. And this conference is something of a contribution to that tradition, we hope that it will arm people with the, the skills and knowledges that we need so all of us, each of us can make a contribution to this tradition of struggle from below, a tradition that, as, as Liz referenced, continues to be renewed every day, all the time, all around the world. And that's one of the really unique things about this conference conference, which is focused not only on the horrors and the barbarity of capitalism, but actually on the power of people like us, of working class people, to resist and to fight back. So often, at best, the story is a narrative of brutality uh, and defeat and victimhood. But the socialism, Marxism, this conference is about resistance resistance. And if you want to learn about that, you're at the right place. There's actually a session on Myanmar happening tomorrow night, which will feature speakers um, from that country alongside other speakers from other um, countries in Asia, Thailand, and the Philippines, where there are ongoing struggles for justice. There are heaps of sessions at the conference dealing with other um, lesser known, perhaps, revolutionary movements. And in fact, there's a session by Liam Ward that I really recommend on what would revolution look like uh, here in Australia on Saturday Arvo. And to top off stories of resistance, um, tomorrow we've got the one and only Gary Foley speaking at this conference, presenting a lecture on the history of Indigenous re- resistance. Gary, you've probably seen him if you've ever been to an Invasion Day protest. He's a legend of the movement. He runs a, a unique archive of Indigenous resistance stories, uh, pictures and, and books and everything. So it is a real privilege to have him. You will not want to miss that. Okay, our next speaker is Aaron Mulvagan. Um, Speaking of resistance, this guy embodies it. Aaron came to Australia as a Tamil refugee from Sri Lanka, having fled a genocidal war against his people, a war that I would add that our government basically supported. And rather than being welcomed and supported uh, by our government, Aaron was put in detention where he spent months on his own as an unaccompanied minor. He has not forgotten uh, these roots and these crimes that have been committed towards him. Uh, he's dedicated his entire life to fighting for refugee rights as part of the Tamil Refugee Council um, today. And as, among other campaigns, the TRC has been, has been fighting to free the Tamil family, Priya Nadez, and their two children back to their home in Biluella. But Aaron is a socialist and a unionist and through his wide-ranging work has inspired so many activists in so many fields. He's one of the most in-demand speakers on the left in Melbourne. So please make him welcome, Aaron Malvaganem.
3: Thanks Omar for that uh, introduction. Not sure how much of that is uh, true. (laughs) As we gather here today, There are hundreds of refugees rotting in Australia's detention centres. As Omar mentioned, Piri and Nades and their Australian-born children have now spent over three years in detention. Scores of refugees who were brought here for medical treatment after being imprisoned for over six years on Nauru and Manus are still in detention for over 18 months um, uh, and and waiting for their uh, medical treatment and uh, and freedom. Rajan, a Tamil refugee who came to Australia in 2009 after fleeing the genocidal regime in Sri Lanka, granted refugee status in 2010. uh, That was revoked by ASIO. Uh, He was cleared by ASIO in 2016, and then for the last five years has been fighting for refugee status while being locked up in MITRE, fighting leukemia. There are also thousands of refugees in the community who have been denied protection visas, refused the right to work, and left without access to government benefits. Many of them are randomly uh, being picked up by police, put back in detention on character grounds, despite never being charged with any crime. This anti-immigrant politics doesn't just affect refugees. We have uh, so many migrants uh, in the community who have been waiting for years to sit uh, their citizenship tests, They have to prove that they can speak English and wait even longer for the ceremony where they have to take an oath to be loyal to a country that will turn against them when government of the day have little to offer but austerity. This racism is nothing new to this country. For over 233 years, Racism has been used to justify the dispossession, exploitation, oppression, and genocide of Indigenous people. Capitalist class in Australia built its wealth from the genocide of Aboriginal people. Today, as we approach uh, the 30th anniversary of the Royal Commission. Uh, into Aboriginal deaths in custody. Four four people have died in custody in the last three weeks. Over the last 30 years, we have heard from, uh, you know, we have had uh, words from uh, coalition and labour governments about addressing issues such as high rates of uh, suicide and incarceration, family separation, but there has been no actions. That is because Australian capitalist system uh, needs the oppression of Aboriginal people to continue. Comrades, struggle for refugee rights and struggle for Indigenous rights are central one, not only for the uh, oppressed members of these communities, but for the working people as well over the last 20 to 30 years while the attacks on Aboriginal people and refugees continued. We also witnessed increased attacks on workers over this period where union membership halved, workers are more isolated, wages haven't uh, kept up with cost of living increases and anti-union laws continue to haunt workers. When the pandemic hit, we were once again divided, where temporary migrant workers who played a central role uh, in our economy by picking up uh, fruits and sorting waste were denied any support. Meanwhile, the, the working people were promised better support. In result is Jobkeeper payments after being increased have now been cut back to all levels. They're looking at taking away our rights at work. They delayed increases to minimum wages. And in the meantime, majority of the billions of dollars given given out to uh, expand the welfare state ended up in the hands of the big capital. 25 companies in the ASX 300 uh, received JobKeeper despite their executives receiving bonuses worth $24 million and millions more in dividends to shareholders. Jerry Harvey, the billionaire owner of Harvey Norman, received $22 million in JobKeeper despite profits doubling to $462 million. This pandemic also uh, exposed what a scum capitalist class is. Look at the way uh, they train uh, their politicians like Christian Porter to use wild sexism to secure their interests and their class. Look at how... Uh, AIDS care uh, provider bosses are money-grabbing monsters, making millions from misery. The capitalist system that creates refugees, destroys the lives of indigenous and working people should be overthrown. The capitalist class, yeah. The capitalist class who benefits from their misery should go. Organisations representing the working people, particularly the union movement, who uh, rather than fighting for working class unity, misguide working people to fight for change by electing the Labour government means that capitalist governments continue to keep working people divided, weaken in solidarity, and carry out further attacks on us. The electoral system has helped the, the system to shift the blame on political parties rather than the system itself. None of the political parties will offer us any solution to our problems under capitalism. Capitalism is a social system. The most basic relationship in capitalist society are the relationships between workers and bosses and between the bosses themselves. While it may look very different country to country, basic structure is always the same. Workers alienated from the means of production, they have to sell their time to bosses uh, in exchange uh, for wages, Capitalists, the minority who control all of the important productive uh, property uh, in society, pay workers the wages, but only in order to steal uh, the products of their labour. Getting that uh, surplus in a competitive uh, society means capitalists have to update their technology and cut wages and conditions. If not, they run the risk of being crushed by a more efficient rival. Capitalist society is about how these relationships play out in the real world. And issues we face are either a product of conflict between these relationships or exacerbated by it. And when we fight back, we have been able to force capitalist states to abandon the most extreme measures. But we can't be satisfied just by overturning the most extreme measures. Oppressive policies will continue to exist, like racism, sexism, Islamophobia, homophobia, and other oppressions. It will continue to exist because it benefits the capitalist class and the capitalist system. And that means we have to overthrow the whole system in order to ensure everyone gets equal treatment. I'm just going to keep repeating all through a capitalist system, you know, in order to get a post. This is a man it's always worth remembering that union movement in Australia came together in 2005, uh, changed the campaign of your rights at work with uh, fighting for to your rights at work with voting for, which resulted in which resulted in uh, then Prime Minister John Howard losing his seat and um, an election of Labor government, but delivered very little for the working people. Work choices were never reversed in its entirety, and working conditions continued to deteriorate. We still had to fight for marriage equality. Uh, refugee policies that John Howard uh, found it difficult to implement were reintroduced successfully and so on. This failure of the union movement shows why it's not enough to look Uh, To organizing the working class, it's also about politics. It is important that we build a current of radical socialist politics that understands the agenda of the ruling class and fights consistently against it rather than trying to find uh, ways to make peace with it. The ruling class always promotes the idea that we should look to Parliament for change. The reality is we can't ward capitalism out of existence. The power bosses hold lies outside of Parliament. And whenever the Labour Party promises radical changes, whenever you see Jet Carney talk about radical changes, it's always about civilizing capitalism. Anything beyond that will be met with brutal force of the ruling class, and they will simply be watered out of existence. For change to be permanent, we must start by looking at the basic structure of the system, which causes all injustices and embrace radical politics. Radical, Radical change is only possible through revolution. Capitalism was established through revolution uh, from the old feudal order. To abolish capitalism, we also need a revolution, a different one to the previous ones in which one ruling minority was replaced with another. We need to create a society in which the majority rule a society in which decisions are made by people who do the work to produce society's wealth and have control over how it is used. According to uh, Oxfam, uh, uh, according to Oxfam report in January 2020, the world's 2,153 billionaires have more wealth than the 4.6 billion people who make up 60% of the planet's population. More than 9 million people starve to death every year, while the richest 1% stash an estimated $32 trillion in offshore tax havens. Capitalism depends for its obscene profits on the labor of the working people. And they will come up with new ways to extract profits. And they will ensure decisions are made by the 1%, for the 1% using parliaments as smoke screens where once every three years, we get the opportunity to elect members of the political class who are only there to be a voice for the ruling class. If the majority were to run the system, we wouldn't have refugees locked up in the park prison. We wouldn't have refugees locked up in Kangaroo's Point. Climate criminals wouldn't exist. Casinos wouldn't be built. Our indigenous people wouldn't die in custody. Health workers and research scientists around the world will work together to find cures for many illnesses. In 1917, we saw in Russia how workers, soldiers, and peasants came together to overthrow the Tsar, bring an end to war, distribute uh, land to the peasants, and bread for all. They did this through recognizing that it could be achieved only through workers' power. They formed workers' councils which organized millions of workers, soldiers and peasants in their workplaces and in their communities. Workers' power in Russia lasted only a few years due to isolation. We should learn from the lessons of Russia and many other revolutions that have uh, begun to challenge the system over the past 100 years. So far, uh, none of those revolutions have been successful in actually overthrowing capitalism. But as long as the majority of the people in this earth have no interest in the profit-driven, murderous system of capitalism, and as long as ruling class depend on our labor to make them their profit, revolution will be a possibility. As we have seen uh, this year and last year and in the recent years, revolutions will continue to happen. It is the task of socialists to fight for permanent revolution which can only be achieved through recognizing that working people have no country and through international solidarity amongst all workers. As, as Karl Marx said, workers of all countries unite, you have nothing to lose but your change. Thank you.
1: I told you he was good. Um, I, think, I think it's re- really important to reflect on the, one of the major points Aaron made, which is the inequality and brutality of Australian capitalism, because it's very easy um, sometimes living in this country to think that everything's okay. You know, you can, you can survive, life's, life's good. Um, and in some ways, you know, the pandemic, you know, em- reinforces that because here we are hundreds of us in a room while the rest of the world uh, is locked down and people are dying. But the reality of Australian capitalism uh, is just as based on oppression, exploitation, and misery as everywhere else. And so being a socialist in Australia is absolutely our duty and our responsibility. And revolution is really what what the socialist movement's all about. It's the absolute vision that we we, we all commit ourselves to fighting for. And and Adam put it very very well, which is to say revolution and socialism is just about democratizing society uh, to its fullest. Uh, We wanna see working class people with their hands on the work that they do. And we believe that if doctors, nurses, and and research scientists put their heads together globally, we would have fixed this pandemic uh, a long time ago. That's what socialism is about, collective democratic decision-making. But that's obviously not on the agenda immediately here in Australia, but, but we're not just sitting around waiting for it, twiddling our thumbs. Socialist alternative, we have a lot that we do and a lot to keep us busy. As an organization, we're desperate to stoke every flicker of resistance that we see around us, to mobilise for every demonstration, every picket line. Already this year, we've been heavily involved in the campaign to free those guys who've been trapped in the Park Hotel prison on Swanson Street, literally 500 metres from here. Uh, We've been organising protests there every Friday. Friday, and that will continue. We've been involved in organising a climate strike of university students. We've mobilised for Invasion Day, and we've organised protests against Christian Porter and other sexist liberal scum. And it's only, uh, is it April now? I think it's the beginning of April. Uh, the other thing that we do, um, of course, is to educate ourselves, to study the lessons lessons of the past struggles that Aaron and Liz have talked about, um, to build on the, the, the experiences that the working class movement uh, has gone through to try and build an organisation that, as Aaron said, can actually win, can deal with the root cause of all these troubles. And we're really proud of what we've achieved in Socialist Alternative. we We've gone from a small group, a handful of people at Melbourne Uni, 25 years ago, to a national organisation, the only national organisation, really, of socialists with a strong presence in every city in this country. But we know we have a long way to go. We're not kidding ourselves. Changing the world uh, is a big challenge. And the point of this conference is to convince you, all of you in this audience, who have not yet joined and who have not yet committed yourself to changing the world in that way, to take the, take the project of, of changing the world seriously and to consider getting involved with our organization. So as you go through this conference, from session to session, keep in mind, am I being convinced? If so, what practical tasks, what practical responsibilities flow from that intellectual persuasion? Okay, comrades, that's all we have scheduled for tonight. I hope you've got a taste of what this conference has to offer. And you'll be there tomorrow morning, bright and early. We're starting at 10 a.m. sharp, which is literally very sharp, because we're sinking across four cities. So every session is starting like clockwork at 10 o'clock. So aim for nine or 9.30, or if you're me, maybe eight, uh, to make sure you've had your coffee and breakfast and browse the bookstalls and the merch stalls and everything else um, before uh, the, the thing starts. Actually, someone told me that I should announce the raffle. Apparently there's a very good raffle with very good prizes. Check that out. Um, we do need to fundraise because because putting on the conference in four cities has cost a lot more than putting on a conference in one. For now, this session is over. The bar is open. I would encourage comrades to stick around. Um, Talk to the people you've met tonight. Um, Introduce yourself to people you don't already know. Um, Get to know the socialist movement and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Thanks so much comrades.